This is a presentation of BSRN, Box Studios Radio Network. Hi, this is Don Biggs from the 92-93 Binghamton Rangers. Hi, this is Brandon Butchins. This is Grady Wittenberg, the voice of the Binghamton Senators, and you're listening to the Power Play Post Show. Hi, I'm Corey Cowick, left wing for the Binghamton Senators, and you're listening to Bob Howard on the Power Play Post Show. And hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Power Play Post Show. This is episode 379. This is season 12, episode 6 for April 20th, 2023. Welcome back, everybody, to the Power Play Post Show. I'm very excited to have you here. Um, I have a great guest a little bit later on in the show. We're going to talk to Phil Jubileo. He's the play-by-play broadcaster for Quinnipiac. They just won the national title. We're going to talk to Phil about a lot of things D1 hockey related, a couple other things also on the docket with Phil. Very good interview. Uh, 18th time he's been on the Power Play Post Show. Did a lot of games, um, obviously nine years worth of games with the Bridgeport Sound Tigers and whatnot. And uh, you'll have to listen to his answer about uh, the Bridgeport Islanders name. So, uh a lot of fun there with Phil, so he's coming up. Uh, but the end of the season happened in the FPHL this past weekend, and uh, all the games are done, 56 games played by all uh, 10 teams. So the Black Bears finished the season with two wins in a home-and-home series versus the Elmira Mammoth. Uh, on Friday night, they beat the Elmira Mammoth 10-3. This was the fourth time this year that the Black Bears had scored double-digit goals. It's just the way it is in the Fed. You know, you can you can get up to uh, double digits and goals uh, against certain teams. They certainly have done that against Elmira. They did that twice against Elmira, once against Motor City, and I think once against Delaware. Might have been Port Huron. Port Huron and Delaware, and then Elmira twice. Uh, Tyler Jurich and Donald Oliveri and Andrew Lurgar both scored, all three of them scored two goals each in this game. Jurich had three assists and finished with five points in the night. I mean, he's he's finishing the season just the way he started the season. Oliveri and Logar uh, both finished with three points each as they both had an assist to go with their two goals. Taylor Joseph now has 10 wins up to this game on the season, winning his last five starts and looks primed to carry the load into the playoffs, which start this upcoming Friday uh, for all the teams. There was a game, I believe, tonight as I'm recording. I haven't checked the score and everything. Eight skaters had points in this game with all eight scoring at least two points or more in the contest. Tyson Kirkby had the Gordie Howe hat trick, having an assist and one of Tyler Jurch's goals, and then scoring his own goal, which led to a fight immediately afterwards against Elmira's Thomas McGuire. Very interesting how that kind of all happened. Um, Friday night's game was feisty and rough, and the two teams combined for 102 penalty minutes. Josh Newberg and Justin Semerero did not dress for this game. The Black Bears have now scored 61 goals versus the Mammoth, while the Mammoth have only scored 24 goals in the 10 games they've played so far. That led into Saturday night's game in Binghamton. Uh, pretty good crowd. I think 4,500 fans at the arena for the uh, final game. Uh, they beat Elmira 5-4. to four. A little bit different type of game. I think Elmira pushed back a little bit harder. They played a lot of two-on-one hockey. What do I mean by that? Every time the Black Bears had the puck, the Elmira Mammoth would put two guys on that guy. And they also went behind the net a lot of times. Um, so if Black Bears were trying to set up behind their net, the Mammoth would send a guy down below. Now, there's a risk at doing that, which did affect the game a couple different times, where when you got past that guy, it was almost like a five-on-four going the other way because he was obviously behind the play. And so there's some risk to that, but it did disrupt the way the Black Bears normally play their game. However, uh, Don Oliveri continued to shine for the Black Bears, scoring two more goals in tonight's game. 
and now has 12 goals in 15 games played. Interesting note uh, for Donald Oliveri, he played in enough games now to qualify for the playoffs. He played in his 15th game on Saturday night. No matter how hard, uh, unfortunately for Tyson Kirkby, no matter how hard he tried, including a slap shot to the face of Mammoth Netminder, uh, Tyson Kirkby did not extend his six-game uh, six goal streak. And the word is that he may have lost an end-of-season bet with Tyler Jurich on goals scored. Connor Smith uh, had a beautiful game-winning goal in the third period with his fifth of the season in six games he's played this season for the Black Bears. And it was one of those where he went right down the slot, crossed over in front of the goaltender, and just took the shot before he actually got to the goaltender and uh, was able to beat him. And it was just a beautiful goal. And you can see why... uh, you know, Connor Smith coming from a national championship, you know, club hockey team, um, just, just just did really, really well. Austin Thompson goal on Saturday night was his 29th of the season, and with his 27 helpers, ended the regular season with 56 points in 49 games. I think he's going to be a big, important part of the playoffs for the Black Bears. Secondary scoring, you know, maybe you can say he's part of the top tier of scoring now for the Black Bears. Without a doubt, this was the best line in the game and maybe the best line in the FPHL right now. Consists of Tyler Jurich, Tyson Kirkby, and Gavin Yates, especially with Donald Oliveri is one of the D-men on the ice for those three. Tonight, uh, Saturday night, those four men combined for three goals, four assists, and seven points. Taylor Joseph has cemented his place as the team's number one goaltender with a seventh straight start and sixth win. In his 11th on the season, Black Bears were 10-1 and over the Mammoth this season, the second team they won double digits against this season. They uh, were a perfect 10-0 versus Delaware as well. All right, so now the Black Bears move on to their attention is the Watertown Wolves for the first round of the FPHL's Commissioner Cups playoffs. Game one will be in Watertown Friday night at 7.30. Game two in Binghamton on Saturday night at 7 o'clock. Game three will be, if needed, in Binghamton on Sunday night, 6 p.m. Um, from the Visions Veterans Memorial Arena. Binghamton has won the series 7-1 to against the Watertown Wolves. Total goals four was 43. Total goals against was 18. So they dominated really scoring goals and obviously dominated much of most of the games. Power play goals, uh, 12 for the Black Bears uh, against the Watertown Wolves. Goalies in those games, Paulin had one win for the Black Bears. Jeremy Forget had one win for the Black Bears. And Riley McVeigh played the majority of the games against the Wolves. He was 5-1 and one against the Wolves in the, um, uh, the season, the regular season. Goals scored by players. Tyler Jurch had seven goals against the Wolves. Kirkby had six. Ivashkin had five. He obviously will not be playing in the playoffs. Anderson had four. Thompson had four. Yates, three. Lopez, three. Parker, two. Oliveri, two. Yarwood, Powell, Bussell, uh, who will not be playing for the Black Bears in the playoffs. Coachman, Schultz, Lewis, Logar, all with one goal each. Team stats, the Binghamton Black Bears, um, they had a goals for average this season of 5.1 per game. Uh, the Watertown Wolves is at 2.9. So you can see that the two teams um, are madly different. Power play, Binghamton, 27% on the season. Number one in the league, Watertown was 14%. Team leaders heading into the playoffs, Binghamton. Tyler Jurch has uh, 69 points, 32 goals, and 37 uh, assists in 43 games. Tyson Kirkby, 30 goals, 36 assists, 66 points in 50 games. Gavin Yates, 21 goals, 38 assists, and 59 points in 42 games. That right there is your first line for the Binghamton Black Bears. Austin Thompson will probably be somewhere on the second line, 29 goals, 27 assists, 56 points in 49 games played. And Taylor Joseph, this season, 11, 2 and 2, 3.06 goals against average. 91% save percentage. Watertown, Elijah and Wilson, 27 goals, 23 assists in 40 games, or for 40 points in 42 games. And Trevor Lord, 14 goals, 19 points, um, 33 
points altogether. Sorry, my my apologies. 14 goals, 19 assists, 33 points in 55 games. Only one game away playing the full season for the Wallertown Wolves. And our old friend, Owen Liskowitz, 10-18-0, 3.89 goals against average. 89%, eh, 90%, 90%, 90% C percentage. It's 8.96. We'll average it up. Uh, he will more than likely be the goaltender that the Black Bears will see. He's done okay against the Black Bears, but he's had his moments as well. Ten players playing on the Watertown Wolves roster played on other FPHL teams this season. And uh, so that's pretty much it. I think it's going to be, listen, here's, here's my opinion. I think if Watertown is going to win a game, it'll be on Friday night. And then I think the Black Bears will take the other two games to win the series and move on. However, it should be interesting. And uh, I think what you're going to probably see is hopefully Binghamton is ready and prepared. We've seen sometimes on Friday nights when they go into certain uh, cities, uh, especially on the road, that they don't play as well the first 20 minutes. Let's hope that the Binghamton Black Bears get on the right page quickly in the game up in Watertown. It'd be nice to finish it off in two, but we'll see what happens. Obviously, they got to play on. Listen, the numbers on paper look lopsided. Looks like Binghamton is going to run away with us, but they have to play the games on the ice first. This is the second year the Binghamton Black Bears are going into the playoffs consecutively. Last year, we all know that they won one game against Danbury, lost the next two. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. I have faith in them. I think they're really going to step up. I, you know, There's a good chance that they could win both games, the first two games. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Watertown's going to win a game. It's more than likely going to be in there in front of their home fans, which will be on Friday night. That'll be where that game is. Um, but I want to move on to my guest. He is Phil Jubileo. He's uh, Quinnipiac's a men's and women's play-by-play broadcaster. He also does the uh, uh, Connecticut Whale in the uh, the Women's Professional League, which is great. Um, and he used to be the former Bridgeport Sound Tigers broadcaster. And this is his 18th time coming on the show. But he can talk about D1 hockey and fans. I encourage you to listen to this interview. We talk about a lot of things, even including about getting Binghamton uh, a D1 program and what it's going to take for it to be successful. So this is definitely something that you want to listen to, and I want to thank Phil for coming on the show. And so I'm going to leave it with that. Um, So coming up next here on the Power Play Post Show is Phil Jubileo. We'll be right back right after this. Hi, this is Don Biggs from the 92-93 Binghamton Rangers. Here's Don Biggs taking a slash and following through. He's hauled down. Now we have Don Biggs having a fisticuffs with Possum. And you're listening to the Power Play Post Show. And welcome back, everybody, to the Power Play Post Show. I'm very excited, as always, to have this gentleman on. He was on 17 times. We've had 17 conversations. This will be number 18 with this gentleman. And, uh... He's not any even doing the American Hockey League anymore. No, 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 no. He is Phil Jubileo, and uh, he is actually now the lead play-by-play broadcaster for Quinnipiac University Hockey, men's and women. And, of course, he also does the Connecticut Whale Games in the PHF. Phil, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to talk to you, and we just had a really great conversation before we started recording, and it's just great to hear your voice. It really is. Oh, same here, Bob, and thank you so much for having me. And it's like deja vu. It's been years uh, since we've had an opportunity to talk. So I'm really excited to be here with you. Yeah, it was 2015, the last time you were on the show. It was season 11 for the Power Play Post show. And, you know, uh, when I brought it back, I was like, oh, I could rename the show. I could do all these other things. But I was like, people know it. People know the Power Play Post show. So I went, ah, this is season 12. We just had a nice long break in between. But, uh You've also changed. I think in 2015, that was the last season that you did games for the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, and then you you kind of moved on to other things. Talk about, you know, going and doing college hockey and, of course, doing the Connecticut Whale. Uh, back then, I think it was in the NWHL, if I remember correctly, before they changed over to the PHF. Which came first? Uh, I believe the Connecticut Whale before Quinnipiac, right? Indeed. So 2015, that was my last season, as you mentioned, in the AHL with the Sound Tigers. And I left after I left after that season. Um, 
it just it just didn't work out for me to come back for for a season ten, which would have been nice. But it, you know, it, it opened up the opportunity for me that very next year uh, to be the very first announcer hired by the NWHL, which happened to be for the Connecticut Whale, and I did all of their games. Uh, but I was also like the league's main play-by-play announcer come playoff time. So I did the first three Isabel Cup championships. I did a bunch of playoff games for them uh, during the first three years. And then I kind of settled back into doing uh, the whale games. Uh, you mentioned the PHF uh, a couple of years ago that, or, you know, it switched from the NWHL to the PHF. Same league, different name, uh, same teams other than the expansion clubs that have come in since with uh, Toronto, the six and, and the Montreal force. And, uh, you know, this year I came back, I, I had spent the, the pandemic season was like kind of like a little mini year in, mm-hmm. in 2020 and then 21, uh, 22, I didn't do any games, but I came back to the league uh, last season and, and I did do some whale games, but I also did games for most of the teams in the league. It's an interesting setup where uh, you get to do multiple games in the course of a weekend. We do them remotely. Uh, you don't really miss a beat. There's a great crew that... We work with down in Florida, so the weather is much nicer, uh, and it's kind of fun getting to do two or three games in different cities uh, over the course of the weekend and, and kind of work as a league voice. And you know, just like with Quinnipiac, our games are on ESPN+, Plus, right. which is great as well because I'm really familiar with the format. So, so doing that professional women's league was the first thing uh, that kind of came after Bridgeport. And then starting in 2017 is when I hooked on with, uh, Quinnipiac, and at first I did some color commentary uh, on the radio side uh, for men's hockey, and I did some fill-in work on TV broadcasts on the women's side. Uh, Bill Schweitzer, who is kind of the very longtime voice of, of Quinnipiac for like 20 years plus, um, you know, he's probably most well-known. Uh, aside from all the stuff in Connecticut, he did... Um, a lot of work in New York for many years. And then way back, if you remember the year when Villanova won the national championship mm-hmm. uh, under Raleigh Massimino, and it was kind of like a Cinderella story. Yep. He was their play-by-play he was their play-by-play guy that year. So that's kind of like the big uh, championship that he called back in the day. And he retired after 2018. So after that, I had a more permanent role with the broadcast crew. I, I did a year on TV for color commentary and after that i got bumped up to the play-by-play role and i've been doing play-by-play for uh, a few years on both of the women's and the men's games and it's been an absolute blast i mean the facilities are amazing the athletic department is is top-notch and fantastic to work with and you know the players and the coaching staffs uh, of both programs uh you know cash turner on the women's side Rand pecknold on the men's side are just you know very very high uh you know, high-class, high-culture individuals, they run their programs that way, and they're just amazing to work with. How How is it different, though, um, when you when you were calling games for the American Hockey League or in the American Hockey League with the Bridgeport Sound Tigers? They, they, you know, there's a, a format, there's a way of, you know, doing the broadcast. Is it any different be, um, doing the collegiate games and or in the professional women's league? Well, you know, yes, from a broadcast side, for sure, because when I started in Bridgeport, it was more of a radio broadcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, eventually over time, uh, the the video side became a little bit more prevalent. But really, all of my years with the Sound Tigers, it was a radio play-by-play that, uh, you know, eventually you could watch the video on AHL Live or or whatever, you know, it started with, there was a different, it was the B2 networks. I remember when I yeah. first started yeah. in that league. And that was the lead. That was what I was familiar with in, in the UHL even before that. It worked over to AHL Live so you could get the pay-per-view video. But it was always a radio broadcast because the people didn't really want to spend a lot of money. And it was expensive on AHL Live to, to get the whole season. I think it costs more to to get AHL live than it was to get like the, the full season NHL package, which to me seems absurd, but that's what it was back then. And mm-hmm. yeah, no control over the pricing. So I always had three radio streams uh, or on radio. We did radio one year, but usually it was on a just streaming audio link. And so I was always calling a radio broadcast. And most <laughs> of the time it was me by myself, right. um, especially on the road. Uh, you know, there were a couple of years I had some analysts at home games. And uh, when I got over to Quinnipiac, 
uh, once I settled in on ESPN, I mean, it's very much a TV production. Yeah. So from the broadcast perspective, and same thing with the PHF, it's very much a, a TV production, multiple cameras and, and replays, and you're really uh, addressing the audience as if it's a TV broadcast as opposed to radio. So it changes my personal style a little bit as far as is play-by-play, and it's definitely much more collaborative because, you know, I've got people down in a broadcast booth talking to me and talking to my color analysts, whoever it happens to be that day. And, uh, you know, so it's a TV production, whereas in Bridgeport it was just me. Now, no, one, no one was directing me on what shots were coming up or yeah. anything like that. I just called the game. So it was just me by myself or me with a color analyst and, uh, that's the big difference. That's the big difference between radio versus TV in any play-by-play scenario. Yeah, I think I did three games with Grady Wittenberg on TV, and um, it was the worst. Uh, having someone talk in, the, in my ear, uh, you know, all the time, the cameraman making jokes. You, know, you, you don't. Some people don't realize unless you've actually done a TV game. Um, some of the chatter that is going on uh, behind the, behind the scenes, and it might be different in other cities and other uh, broadcast productions, I'm sure. But unfortunately, I got very acquainted with one guy's eating habits, uh, one of the cameraman's eating habits. Uh, <laughs> Basically, basically, he was talking about you know what he was going to eat during a break or or whatever, and you, you found out pretty quickly um, the, those kind of things. So let's let's talk a little bit about you know Quinnipiac. Obviously, they won the national championship this year against my Minnesota Golden Gophers. Congratulations to them! A worst ten seconds of an overtime that I've ever witnessed as a hockey fan, um, but probably one of the most brilliant ten seconds that I've ever seen in a, in a hockey game. You were down there with Mike Fornabaya, who is you know, a good friend of the show as well, and everything. Talk about that experience because obviously you were there. You called a bunch of games, obviously a lot of the home games uh, through the season and everything. And, and of course, it becomes a more national broadcast later on when it, when, when, it get, when they get into the tourney and everything. But talk about what you saw throughout this season leading up to that national title game. This was such a special team. Uh, you know, for me, uh, the, so, so in all the times I, I watched Quinnipiac in person, I only got to see them lose one game, which was up at Lake Classic. Uh, and they lost in overtime to Colgate in the ECAC semifinals. I was doing, I was the bench reporter uh, for the games, and you know we, they brought in a few guys from different cities, and they asked me to do kind of between the benches uh, for those, you know, for those games. It's the only time I saw the Bobcats lose, and they were unbeaten at home. There was a tie; otherwise, they were undefeated, you know, in their home building. And and what I've seen with that group is just such a dominant team, really led by. You know, a group of grad students and upperclassmen, uh, whether they were with the program for five years, uh, led by their captain, Zach Metza, or transfer students like Jake Johnson, who came in, who played at RPI, and mm-hmm. Jacob Nordquist, who played at, you know, Lake Superior State. Uh, so it was a very veteran group on one hand. And then on the other side, you had a bunch of really young guys. So when you saw those 10 seconds, those are the young guys that went out there. The yeah. top line were, you know, two, you know, a freshman and and two sophomores and, you know, Jacob Quillen going to the net and, and taking that pass from Sam Lipkin and scoring, is, you know, are things that I've seen during the course of the year. Quillen's that type of guy, he's either a beast in the corner, uh, digging pucks out for, for Colin Graff and, and for Lipkin, or he goes hard to the net like he did on that play. And, um, you know, like even the young guys. And, and the thing with that team was the culture, and it was kind of a slow build you know, over the course of the past several years. So each year, uh, the seniors, and it's really, you know, the culture is set by Rand Packnold, who, who just finished his 29th season as head coach uh, of Quinnipiac and Atari, because he's still a fairly young guy. Like, he took that job at 27 uh, years old uh, as a Division well, Division three head coach and, yeah. and started the Division one program. Uh, but, you know, he really sets the culture. Uh, but it's the upperclassmen, it's the seniors that kind of really – develop that culture and maintain it uh, through the underclassmen. And it's like that growing building process. And I've seen it kind of play out uh, through a bunch of classes over the last, like, five or six years. So, like, my first couple of years with the team, uh, Chase Prisky was the captain who played um, in the American League this year. He finished the year with San Diego. He played some NHL games. And, Mm -hmm. you know, was just an amazing captain, and it went – and it went from him to Nick Germain, who plays in the ECHL, to Odin Tufto, and, and now to Zach Metza, and, and just great leaders. 
And even if even if you're an upper classman who doesn't wear a letter, uh, just really good leadership. The the buy-in is just un- you know it's just amazing buy-in. Uh, you think about how. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily matter what league you're in. You always have uh, there, there. It always seems that there are teams of players that you know they they have their own agenda or they kind of they, they kind of you know just want to do things a little bit differently. And you know with this particular Quinnipiac team, it was not like that at all. Like everybody was just on the same page. Everyone was just you know 100 percent buy-in. Uh, you never saw a team play a bad game. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you could see them play, you know, they might have a down period here and there, but I never saw that team play a bad 60 minutes, you know, whereas, as you know, I've called many, many games and I've called many, you know, American Hockey League games or I've seen stinkers yeah. from one team or the other over the course of like 60 minutes. They just don't really show up for a night and that happens. I didn't see that at all with this team. And, and then at the end of the day, to me, they had, even though Devon Levi won the, the Mike Richter Award, I thought... Yanni Peretz was the best goaltender in the nation. Uh, and, uh, you know, and if he wasn't the best, he was obviously one of the three best because uh, he was a finalist for the Richter Award. And when you have an elite goaltender like that uh, in, to start things off and then just a lot of talent throughout the lineup, it's a, it's a hard team to beat. And I know not a lot of household names, uh, but that's just what, this, that's what that team was all about. It's just about, you know, buying into a system and, and committing, and it's not about the individuals. On that group, there are four current um, players playing in the NHL that played with Quinnipiac. Uh, there are three others that also played. Uh, when I looked up that number, I was kind of surprised. And then the conversation I had with you just beforehand was that the the, the people that they bring in are people that are going to buy into Rand's system and the way he really wants to develop uh, a team and whatnot. And I asked you this question. I just want you to answer it on air. Do you think that is going to change a little bit? Do you think more guys are going to come in because of this national championship that might be, you know, closer to number one, even second round kind of draft picks coming to Quinnipiac? Do you think that'll change at all? Or do you think Rand will stick to what he's always done? Uh, Well, I I think, I think it's a yes and no answer. And let me explain here. If, I think at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and, and Ram Packnell's always said this, they have to, you know, they look for a particular mindset with, with players. Um, they, they look for, you know, they, they want to make sure that there's a high hockey, high hockey IQ. Uh, they want to make sure that the players are going to be fully committed uh, to the culture that's set by the program. And that's, you know, there, there's a lot of, like, integrity that's built into that culture and a lot of commitment that's built into the culture when you, when you talk about that buy-in. Um, I, I don't think he's not going to stray away from that. Sure. You know, I don't, th- I don't think he's ever going to stray away from that. Now, if you find, you know, where the door opens a little bit more is you might get guys with that mindset that, you know, could be a first round pick or a second round pick, higher NHL draft picks, or maybe more of a quantity, but, but ultimately it's that X factor. They still have to kind of buy into that culture and, uh, you know, whatever that secret sauce is, like, hmm. the, here's the thing. You know, what they're really good at doing is is reading, and you have to figure it out. You know, it's hard when these players are, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. They're young. You know, like, you know, it's hard. You know, the teen, at the end of the day, teenagers are teenagers, but they just have such a great success rate at kind of seeing who these young players are at such a young age and realizing that they're going to grow to be like these, uh, you know, a high, you know, high IQ, high culture buy-in types of players. Um, and if he can find those players that happen to also be uh, NHL draft picks and, and get a few more of them on the roster, I guess, sure. Uh, yeah. but, but ultimately, he has a, a set way of how he wants to kind of set up his team, and that's, that's what they do. And the, the other thing, too, what, what they're really good at is really developing um, they, they're able to see those diamonds in the rough with with talent and, and with ability. It's one of the things where, you know, for instance, a lot of teams shy away from smaller players. Sure. You, you see a lot of programs. They don't want little guys. You know, and, and Quinnipiac's a program that they've always drafted. They've always brought in 
smaller guys. Odin Tupto is a smaller guy that was an amazing offensive college hockey player. Sam Annis, who plays for the Hershey Bears uh, right now, and I think a couple of years ago led the AHL in scoring or at least in gold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a smaller guy. I mean, I talked to Sam. Sam Annis was at a game a couple of years ago, and, you know, he's, you know I loved it because he's my height. You know, we're like the same <laughs> height. I'm not very tall, and it's great. And, uh, you know, but he was just such a dynamo that, um, but other teams would stay away from guys like that. Was, oh, he's a little guy or whatever. And, um, you know, Rand doesn't shy away from that. So they're really good at developing talent. Uh, the strength and conditioning coach, uh, Bree Patel, is, he's one of the best in the country at what he does. He gets everything out of these guys. And I think conditioning, you mentioned Minnesota, uh, a big part of it. In fact, it was mentioned on the broadcast. Uh, John Ross brought it out yep. literally right before the goal, talking about conditioning and, and Brzezesh Patel and uh, – you know, I think it's true. I mean, if you saw the team that had more juice in that second half of the game, it was Quinnipiac, and I think part of that has to do with, with the strength and conditioning that, that they bring to the table, and you kind of need that with the way that, you know, Quinnipiac runs their, their system. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that it, it does open the door uh, when you have a championship under your belt, but by no means is it going to, you know, define that, you know, you're going to see things swing the other way as it goes to the pendulum. Um, because, you know, you're not going to just see a bunch of first-round picks come in. I, I don't see that happening. I, I still think that it's going to be done in the way that Rand's done it over the years. Uh, Phil, I brought you on uh, because you're a friend, number one, of the show. You're, you're, you've always been very good to me. But Binghamton University announced uh, about two weeks ago that they are pursuing a D1 hockey program. Um, and, and I was like, wait a second here. Do I, do I know a guy who, you know, is, is a part of a D1 program? And of course I do. I know Phil Jubileo and uh, Quinnipiac and, you know, Division Three. 25 years ago. They go to Division One, And, um, you know, 25 years later, the fruits of, you know, the labor is there. How... In, in your opinion, you've, you've been to Binghamton. You, you've seen hockey games here, obviously, as a broadcaster and, and whatnot. How difficult is it going to be to start a program? Um, one of the things that you told me before we got on the air is, is that there's room to grow in D1 hockey. I didn't realize that. I didn't think there was going to be enough space for a, a Binghamton team to come in and to potentially field uh, you know, a, you know, a, a team that could be competitive maybe in five years. Oh, I think there's definitely room for, for more Division One hockey programs everywhere, uh, to be completely honest. I mean, there's only around 60. I mean, compare that to Division One basketball, True. I think there's well over 300. Um, so for Division One hockey only to have around 60 Division One programs uh, right now, to me it feels like a small number when you look at um, the plethora of junior hockey in the United States between – uh, the USHL and the North American Hockey League, and the USHL provides a lot of talent uh, to Division One colleges, and so does the North American League. And then you go to Canada, where you have mm-hmm. leagues like the, you know, the BCHL, the British uh, Columbia Hockey League, the AJ, which is the Alberta Junior Hockey League, and uh, those leagues provide a lot of talent as well. And you know, you can even go in a stage and look at like Minnesota. Uh, what's interesting about Minnesota is almost, and the Gophers in particular, uh, most of those players come right out of like Minnesota high school. Yes. Uh, and, you know, Minnesota high school hockey in itself is kind of like a breeding ground for uh, Division One college hockey and, and even a lot of the prep schools uh, in the Northeast where you see them, they go prep and then they play junior for a year or two and then, you know, they're 19 or 20 and they start playing college hockey. And, and, and why do I think there's an ability for, for Binghamton to – to develop a program one uh i think there's a lot of talent out there and so i think that uh that alone you know in a few years can bring some players to the university to play you know binghamton's a good school i think that helps as well academically mm-hmm. um and also where i think now the big equalizer in hockey is is with the transfer portal because players now are entering the transfer portal you have that one-time opportunity to transfer without having to sit out a year. And you see a lot of players, you know, some of these bigger programs over-recruit. And if they don't, and if these freshmen don't get a chance to play right away, you know, they're looking for an opportunity to go somewhere else and get ice time. And if you're a new program, 
well, there's going to be ice time. If you're a good player and, and you can crack a lineup, you're going to get an opportunity to play. And so schools like Binghamton, I think, have an opportunity to capitalize, whereas, you know, LIU has done that in the last couple of years. And, and uh, you know, Augustana University is going to be playing their first year of D1, and I'm seeing a lot of guys in the transfer portal from, from good conferences going over to play at Augustana. St. Thomas was the same way. And, and Binghamton can end up, you know, kind of part of that as well. Obviously, you want to have good resources and facilities. You want to have good coaching and, and, and support. It sounds like the university is willing to support this and, and make a big investment. And if they're willing to do that, why not? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, you know, this has been a pro hockey town for a very long time. Uh, we had the uh, BCC Hornets play in one of the North American Junior College Collegiate programs that failed out about uh, five years ago um, and uh, we actually have the the club hockey team for BU right now that won their national championship uh, uh, in the first year that that program uh, decided to have a national championship tourney and everything so we've always been a hockey town and I'm just I'm curious to what you think. Uh, you know a little bit about Binghamton, just from talking to me, and of course, you know, being here calling games. Um, do you can you can you foresee the Binghamton fans, uh, you know, kind of supporting not just supporting financially two teams, but two different types of hockey because it is going to be a little bit different. You're going to have a high quality player, maybe not necessarily always the best games, and then you're going to have a pro team that might bring some more of the rough stuff to the game as well. Uh, do you do you foresee you know Binghamton hockey fans being able to kind of gel those two together and still support them? I, I believe they can. If you can get for the college side, a big key is getting the student support. If you can get students out to the games, sure. and, and I know that dormitories are uh, right near. You know, if they're going to play in the downtown building, they're right nearby. Uh, so you should you should have the opportunity to get students to the games. That's always a key uh, with the college side of things, or you don't necessarily you have a separate audience from the pro side. Uh, you want to have obviously a core of those fans support both teams. I think that's kind of important in any city. But uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think so. And you know, a good example just kind of popped into my head. I think of Utica. Okay. So in oh, Utica, yeah. you have the com you have the comets that sell out just about every game on the American Hockey League side. And then you have Utica College, which is a Division three school, and they get tremendous support for their games. And it's D three, but they're they're a they're a top they're a top D three program, and uh, they get a lot of fans at their games as well. So I mean, if they're a, if a city like Utica could do it, I don't see why Binghamton couldn't. Uh, a lot of things have to come into place, and there needs to obviously be a lot of not just coordination between the professional team and the university and, and, and the city, but a lot of cooperation, right? If it becomes any, any scenario where there's going to be any kind of contention uh, where, you know, one side wants to get more than the other, I think then, you know, it's going to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you can get the right kind of coordination and buy-in from everybody, there, there's no reason why I can't succeed for, for both of the programs. Yeah, one of the things that you and I were talking about beforehand, and you mentioned this, was you know just you know doing double headers and somehow working mm-hmm. those two things together. I just thought to myself, well, wait a second here. The Rumble Ponies just played this past week in their uh, first home game on a Saturday, and it was the last uh, final game. And uh, I know the Senators and the um, the uh, Binghamton Devils did this. They did the you know you know buy one ticket, go to both games type of thing. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely something that you brought up that I had forgotten about. That I mean we we've been doing here with the baseball team that's here. That cooperation between. Uh, two is obviously very key, and uh, so there are other th- ways as well to do the same type of things. Um, so it's very interesting, you know, Phil. I, I have to ask um, in in the collegiate, you know, the D one realm, was it a surprise that Quinnipiac did what they did? Because you know there are probably about ten teams in D one hockey that are just classified as. They're going to make it to the Frozen Four. These are the best teams, and it's going to be very hard to crack that. Was there, you know, afterwards, did you read, did you get, you know, did you talk to anybody that, you know, basically was like, wow, I'm surprised they actually did it? No, and I know that sounds crazy, but, I mean, here's the thing. This 
most recent Frozen Four was the third one. The Bob the, the, the Bobcats have reached a Frozen Four championship three times in the yes. last ten seasons, yeah. which is a pretty high number. Yeah. Uh, they lost to Yale back in 2013, and then they lost to North Dakota mm. in, in 2016. So, you know, getting to the Frozen Four, getting to that championship game wasn't unfamiliar ground to them uh, that they've been able to do it. Um, that you know that they won. You know, so, you know, the third time's a charm. I think eventually they were going to win one. It was one of those things where, you know, in our circles, we would always talk about it like, oh, the, you know, at some point they're going to win one. Like it was always, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a question of uh, what if. It was a question. It's always been a question of when they were going to win one. And and seeing some off the beaten path teams win a championship's not entirely uncommon. You know, you talk about the, the quote-unquote blue bloods when you, when you mentioned Minnesota, North mm-hmm. Dakota, and, and and BC, and some of the, you know, Michigan, uh, and some of these other programs. Yeah, I mean, they definitely exist. Yeah. But you could also see, you know, in the most recent tournament, you know, teams like Penn State, and they haven't had a Division One hockey team uh, very long. But some of those Big Ten schools have kind of, you know, they, they get on the map fairly quickly. Uh, even though they have yet to win, I, I don't think the Big Ten, as the Big Ten Hockey Conference, they've yet to win a tournament. Not yet. Um, but uh, you know, but the but the ECAC has won three. Quinnipiac was joined by you know in back to back years it was Yale and then Union. Union College of all teams in 2014 won uh, a national championship. And you want to talk about you know a team coming out of nowhere, uh, Union College, you know, and at the time was non scholarship, uh, and they still I think they're just starting to give out scholarships, but. You know, they had a great goaltender, they had Shane Goss to spare, and they caught lightning in a bottle and won. So, you know, just like, you know, in basketball, I think it's a little bit different. When, you know, you always would see in the basketball tournament the Cinderella schools win. There's so many more teams involved in the tournament, and you'd see major upsets and stuff like that. College hockey is a little bit different in the sense that you don't have as many teams get to the tournament, so it's a bit of a smaller uh, kind of set up, and, and there's fewer programs, so the the bigger ones usually kind of show up. But, you know, Quinnipiac's a team in recent years. They get to the tournament every year. Yeah. Um, so they're almost always there. Uh, and, and to see this is an experienced group, and when I look at these tournaments, uh, particularly in hockey, um, if you can have an experienced group, and that's what Quinnipiac had. They were an older team uh, that were together relatively a long time. Uh, I always feel like they have some level of an advantage over the teams that just kind of get put together and they're only around for a year or two. Mm -hmm. I think why people were really shocked in the case of Minnesota is that a lot of those guys did come back with the, with the goal of winning the national championship. I think a lot of Gopher fans felt like it was going to be a foregone conclusion because so many of those players uh, came back a little bit different. You look at Michigan, they had some of those guys come back, but they also had some of their top guys leave. Um, you know, so it was a bit of a different mix with the, with the Michigan team. But again, still a lot of first-round picks or potential first-round picks. When you look at Adam Fantelli, he's going to be the number two overall pick. So, you know, maybe a bit of a surprise in that sense. But, uh, you know, veteran guys, you know, the, that, that ability to have a group around for five seasons, uh, having elite goaltending, it, it, didn't, it did not surprise me to see them win the whole thing. Okay, so before I let you go, I got two more questions. You can answer it however you want. These are kind of uh, f- maybe fun questions, a couple fun questions here for you and everything. Sure. I'm just going to say two words, and I want your response to it. Bridgeport Islanders. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> how did I say that? I, I, you know. That's what so, I wanted to hear. So here, uh, it. it I I I understand why. Oh, I hate it. I hate um, it, Phil. I hate I mean, it. I I I'm not a fan. I mean, again, I I, I did Sound Tigers games for nine years. Mm-hmm. I love the logo. Yep. I love the fact that it was a bit of a, you know, a different identity. It, it, you know, compared to the New York Islanders, what I thought was good about that different identity was that it did bring fans of all NHL teams together. Uh, like when I worked those yep. games, I know so many. I knew so many Bridgeport Sound Tigers fans that were Rangers fans, or that were Boston Bruins fans, or rooted for other NHL teams, but they were okay with rooting for the Sound Tigers because it wasn't, you know, the Bridgeport Islanders. Um, oh. I know that that uh, you know watching it, it 
it, there's a blueprint, and you follow the American Hockey League for a long time, so yep. you know when Lou Lamarillo, mm-hmm. with the exception of when he was running Toronto, because he, he wasn't going to get away with it in Toronto. No, but anywhere else with the Devils, and you know his his, his blueprint is to it's a very top down run organization, and and that goes to your minor league teams. Um, you know, so I, I think the fact that the Worcester Railers are independently owned is the only thing that's stopping them from becoming the Worcester Islanders uh, because <laughs> they're their ECHL team. And they do rely a bit yeah. on that ECHL team. And, uh, you know, Worcester's a great hockey city. I love Worcester. And, uh, I mean, it's just, it, to me, it's just a little bit disappointing. And then what was, uh, it was disappointing <laughs> as well to see that when they did get a third jersey that it was the Fishsticks. And, and I have no problem with the Fishsticks jersey. For the Islanders, because again, that that's a nod to something that was a real part of their history. Sure, um, but 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 fish sticks and, and it has no no tie at all to Bridgeport. And it would have been great to have the Sound Tigers as a retro logo or something like that for Sunday games and kind of keep them in the fold. But you know what? It it is what it is. I I, I get it. Doesn't mean that I have to like it. Um, but. You know, it it is what it is. I mean, that's, yeah. that's all I can really say. Okay. Whether that's going to, whether that lasts forever, I don't really know. Yeah. Like I think about when the the Hartford Wolfpack became the Connecticut Whale for a year and a half, and then they went back. Oh, that was so, so stupid. You know, may, you know, maybe everything old can become new again at some point. Who knows? Or everything new can become old. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, at, at some point, Lou Lamarillo will retire. Yeah, uh, because I think he's eighty years old, and I would be interested to see when the new, when a new general manager eventually comes in and kind of you know takes over that ship, if that name will stay. I, I wonder if it'll change. I mean, I, I part of me thinks I think at some point in time it might. Okay, so you got five thousand points for that correct answer about that. <laughs> I personally hate it when there is no identity uh, for the American team. Um, it drives me bonkers. Um, I lived with that in Binghamton here for many, many, many years. The Icemen, the Dusters, and the Black Bears are the only three teams. Everybody else just took the stupid name of the NHL team, and I hated it. I hate that. we. You feel that you need to push that cross-promotion of your NHL team in Binghamton, New York. Well, first of all, the Binghamton Senators had more New York Ranger fans as Binghamton Senators fans than they did Ottawa Senator fans. It's just it's so stupid. But moving on, I want to know if you received your Emmy yet, for being featured on the Netflix documentary series Untold, where you were a part of the episode Crime and Penalties, I just need to know: Have you received your Emmy yet? No, no, no Emmy award. Um, <laughs> as far as I know, no one has gotten an Emmy award, but it, oh. but it should. I mean, it's an outstanding episode, phenomenal of the series, and really, really, the whole. By the way, the whole series is great. So, right. I mean, obviously, I'm a bit biased on the Danbury Trashers episode, but there <laughs> are good. about a dozen of these episodes all, you know, wonderfully produced and directed. And, you know, I was, I was happy that our episode was directed by uh, McLean and Chapman way, who are the, you know, the way brothers are the executive producers yep. of the entire series. And yeah. they directed our episode and they spent a fair amount of time in Danbury. And I got to know them uh, pretty well. And just two amazing uh, young men, individual filmmakers that, you know, when, when I heard they were coming to do it, uh, when they were coming to do the production, I was super excited because I knew who they were. I knew who they were from Wild Wild Country, which mm-hmm. is uh, not a sports documentary, nope. but it's amazing and mind-blowing. They did win an Emmy for that. <laughs> they won an Emmy for Wild Wild Country. Um, and, if, and if you folks haven't seen it, you should. It's just completely real and bizarre and mind-blowing but they also did the battered bastards of baseball yeah which is also on netflix and um and really well done that was kind of what got them on the map in terms of documentary filmmaking and uh you know if if you if you've watched that uh it's interesting because their uncle is kurt russell the actor Mm -hmm. um and and he was part of that you know portland renegades team that uh played independent minor league baseball and and their grandfather was the guy that owned the team, and he was an actor on Bonanza, uh, Bing Russell. So there's all this acting stuff that kind of goes into it. And and I loved it, being just a fan of minor league sports. And, 
yeah. and thinking about how we ran things with the Trashers, and there was a little bit of that <laughs> kind of going on with this Portland team. And I think partially that's kind of what drew the Way Brothers to doing our episode um, of the Untold series. And uh, they, they really did a great job. And, and what's funny is, you know, it, it was an hour and a half, and there's probably enough to do – there was enough footage to do like another hour and a half. Like mm. there's so much on the cutting room floor that uh, can make a whole second episode, but you're limited when it comes to this Netflix stuff. And yeah. uh, just mind blowing. Like the whole experience was just amazing and mind blowing. And it got me back in kind of the fold with uh, a lot of the folks uh, that made the film, you know, obviously with uh, the Galantes and I, I talked to AJ all the time and I talked to Jimmy a fair bit uh, you know, where I live now in Connecticut, it's, it's about 20 minutes away from where they are because uh, I'm in a different part of Connecticut than uh, the last time you and I talked seven years ago. We moved <laughs> to uh, a little bit more of a uh, rural farm area just north of Danbury. And uh, uh, so it, it, the, the whole experience was just wonderful. Uh, so a very long-winded answer to the question, no, no okay. anymore. No, uh, but I'll gladly I'll accept I'll accept one if someone's willing to send me there. All right, so one. so I have to take ten yeah, points away from so I have to take ten points away for not getting an award. But uh, great answer, I was so happy to see you in that. I I so thoroughly enjoyed. First of all, I enjoyed all the untold, but um, just you know, seeing that you know, I I knew the history a little bit. I talked to you about the history some here mm-hmm. on the Power Play Post show, so that's what I was, I was like say to my wife, oh, oh, he said that on my show. I was like, <laughs> we we talked about that, you know, the, some of the kind of the really cool stuff and everything. But uh, you know, I'm just I'm happy when 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 I get to see prior guests on my show who came and did so much for my show do so many cool things you know you know even in the last seven years i've watched some uh, you know friends that have come on this show just do some really great things brendan burke is now some big wig nhl you know uh broadcaster and everything but and i've seen you know even my friend grady wittenberg has done some washington capital games and he's back with cornell mm-hmm. and just some really cool stuff it's it's really great to see i you sound just as good now as you did back then and I really appreciate you coming back on the show. You've been awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much, Bob. Appreciate it. And, you know, you can have me on anytime. And trust me, next year, D1 Hockey, maybe we'll be talking about that. I think it's going to be a couple years before they get it here, but there might be other questions I have for you on it and everything. I, I'm a fan of the Minnesota Golden Gophers, but probably the inner workings, the logistics, all that stuff, I have no clue on. So you could be one of my guys and everything. Uh, he is Phil Jubileo play-by-play broadcaster for Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac, Connecticut Whale. And we'll be right back right after this, right here on the Power Play Post Show. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Power Play Post Show. Be sure to tune in next week from the Box Studios Radio Network to keep up to date with the latest news, scores, and interviews by visiting www.pppshow.net. You've been listening to the Power Play Post Show.